welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope this finds you well. Today I'm going to be joined by Tom Murray and Spring Chung, and we're going to be talking about what do they feel is missing from our current conceptions of adult development theory. And we'll be looking at that mainly through the notion of, of an ascending current where we inc- we're ascending into increasing complexity and then this descending current where we're releasing complexity and uh, we're moving into healing and into a kind of primordial space from which renewal can happen. So we'll talk about development in terms of this cycle, you know, this cycle that can take place that, um, yeah, is, is actually... Um, perhaps a more holistic way of looking at ourselves than, you know, just the one-sided ascending path that many of us have taken. I won't introduce Tom and Spring because they do that in the podcast themselves. They'll do a much better job than I can. So the last thing I'll do is point you in the direction of our online summit that's starting on the 7th of July. It's free, so and it will remain free. And I just want as many coaches to come and enjoy it and benefit from it as possible. We're calling it the evolution of coaching. It's really our attempt at exploring how are coaches being invited to evolve and adapt in these times in order to serve their clients more deeply. And so we're going to do that through live teaching sessions, panels, dialogues, pre-recorded sessions with really an amazing uh, group. I won't obviously name everyone, but some people are involved like Thomas Hubel, Jennifer Garvey-Berger, Bio Akomalafe, Veronica Alaya, Richard Strozzi-Heckler, Amanda Blake, Larian McCurleaf, Marita Freejohn, Dave Snowden, Rick Hansen, Suzanne Cook-Greuter, John Vervecki, and others. And just to say that the last summit we did, I thought there was just such a beautiful field that emerged of coaches coming from all around the world to learn together and I think it'll be the same again so so just come and join us it's free you can find out more by heading to coachesrising.com forward slash summit and it starts on the 7th of July all right let's let's dive in here is the podcast with Tom and Spring all right so I'm joined by Spring and Tom and I'm really uh, delighted to be with you both and um yeah, I was just sharing with you each about how, for me, this conversation is really alive right now, really pertinent. We're going to be exploring each of your work and this notion of uh, adult development theory and the idea of ascending and descending and you know what some of these models might be missing and how each of your work speaks to that. So, so I'm really pleased to, to talk to each of you today. How are you both doing, first of all? And maybe you could actually say how you're doing and a little bit about your background, keep it quite short, but just so people know who, who you are. Yeah. I'll start um, Spring Cheng. I live in Pacific Northwest. Uh, I was, um, I had a, a, a wide span of different careers. I had been a scientist um, medical scientist, and then I uh, uh, became an acupuncturist. Um, I, I'm, I'm a native Chinese, so that was my dive into my cultural heritage. And out of that, I became interested in the consciousness, the, the kind of awareness structure behind holistic medical pra- practice. And that led me to um, uh, studying coaching and uh, 
uh, how to facilitate that, that kind of awareness that uh, um, catalyze he healing, integration, and wholeness. And from there, I encountered um, adult development, and I find fascinating. And also, at the same time, I'm um, bringing my experience in the uh, healing um, profession into um, places where in adult development, maybe that hasn't um, been revealed much or shed light on. So, um, yeah, my, I created a system called the Resonance Code. That's where I, um, the, it's kind of gave me the foundation to practice my um, coaching and uh, uh, teaching. Thanks, Spring. Let's see what's, what's coming up as a brief way in here. I guess I've, I've always had an interdisciplinary bent um, in my thinking and scholarship. And I have dabbled in things like physics and philosophy and computer science and cognitive psychology over the years. And now that kind of all brought me naturally to integral theory. And because I had some background in cognitive science and learning theory, I oriented within within integral theory, I oriented towards the developmental models. And um, so I've been working heavily with developmental models for 10 or 15 years, um, publishing some stuff on those. I'm currently working with Terry O'Fallon at Stages International. Um, and um, what I found myself writing too, from the very beginning, when I started offering my own perspective on this developmental world, was um, questions of of ethics, partly, you know, how are we practicing what we're preaching, and um, also just the, the the process, the sort of the community process of making and sharing models, and taking wanting to take kind of a phenomenological perspective on what's, this is an activity that we're doing. You know, we're sharing models, we're making models, we're talking about development. Um, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to all think that we're at some higher level than other people? Or what does it feel like to, to operate in abstractions? Um, and I mean, we were talking before we started recording here about um, Spring and I both share a, a dance practice called Contact Improvisation. and there's something um, that different kinds of embodiment practices have given me uh, along the way that somehow inform what I'm doing. And just that question of bringing things back to the body, to ethics, to the heart, um, it just seems to be what I keep kind of cy cycling through. Let, let's keep bringing that back in as we go. And Somehow through all of that and some of the stuff that I've written and that Spring has written, we found each other and, and found that around the same time, we're both um, uh, had a very appreciative perspective on the developmental community and theories. And we were both feeling into this idea that um, what's missing is kind of the uh, appreciation of the, a deeper appreciation of the descending aspects of the human condition and what we might call spiritual growth or ego development or something that's feels very different than say hierarchical complexity. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in what each of you just shared there. Um, 
which, yeah, I guess speaks to perhaps some of the criticisms that are starting to surface in general in the in the field, you know, about developmental theory and some of the, I think, um, you know, reading Jeremy Johnson's book as well, talking about Gebser's notion of the perspectival and the aperspectival. And um, I guess that's a, a lot to drop in there without explaining to the listeners. But I think what, what that touched in me is what each of you are saying now, which is, um, you know, getting into integral theory, there was something very compelling about it and, and, and really beautiful. And at the same time, um, feeling in my own journey at some point, it was just like getting increasingly abstract and intellectualized in some sense. And um, there was something missing, something really important missing, which I think you're both speaking into now. And so maybe that is the question I come to, you know, you've met spring, you've mentioned healing and uh, Tom, you've alluded to, um, you know, uh, descending and the body and the heart. Could you say a little, each of you just say a bit more about what do you find is missing commonly in our, you know, in the common notions of adult development theory and the maps we've made and that might lead us to speak more about descending as well, what we mean by that, but what, yeah. Could you say more about what's missing? Um, well, I would take a turn. I'll start. <laughs> so, uh, for me, um, what's very apparent is what's missing is a fuller understanding of the value of the earlier state, what's, what's in the current model, what's called earlier stages. I'll, I'll start with maybe two perspectives. One is a personal one, and the other one is a philosophical one. So a personal one is that, um, so some of the highly valued characteristic of the later stage, like the uh, um, paradoxical or the way to hold the complexity and ambiguity of life. Um, it was, so in my personal experience, that awareness was always there from the beginning as, you know, as, as I, as my, um, in my journey, it's my ability to speak about it become more and more clear and more complex but the, the seeds of that um, ability to hold the complexity, the ability to, um, the awareness capacity to encompass all actually, the, the um, others environment, uh, even the um, greater system was uh, readily available as, as far as I can remember. And it's not just my own personal experience. I, I see that all the time in young children but, but it takes particular filter to see it. <laughs> it takes particular way to see it, to recognize it. And I think it's almost like there's an origin point of the de vertical development scale. And that origin point itself is of its own value. Therefore, to me, the development is not just the vertically ascending, but it's actually can be seen as a, oscillatory process between the origin point and you know the destiny point um, as described by the current um, uh, some of the, the late stages so for me the development then becomes um, more of an oscillatory process so um, another perspective I want to bring is the, my kind of an, the native cultural perspective 
the, the Taoism. And uh, if you remember the Tai Chi symbol, the there's the Tai Chi symbol has both yin and yang pole symbolized by the black and white dot. And if you see that as a vertical axis, then there's the energy that vibrates between yin and yang, black and white, um, the origin and the destiny. And uh, so that very much also influenced the, the lens through which I look at development. Yeah. Just to, before Tom comes in, could you say what you mean by the origin point? Uh, like what I just shared, this, um, yeah. the origin point is kind of a, before our ego development, the, our awareness is embedded in our somatic. And, and uh, when I mean somatic, it's not just the personally somatic. It's also a kind of naive or, origin, or primordial transpersonal awareness embedded in our body. So that's kind of like the soil out of which the ego um, give rise to the ego development. So that's what I mean by the origin point, or you can call it the primordial chaos, <laughs> primordial soup, <laughs> the primordial soup of our ego. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I resonate with all that. Um, I resonate with the resonance code, I guess we could say. There's a lot of things that I could say feel missing in the developmental model and the developmental communities. And first I'll say that there's, it's um, it's a really wonderful community to be in. We're all in it, and um, whatever we want to call it, overlapping with the meta modern folks and the liminal folks and all of that, um, we're all really interested in holism and our hearts and minds and bodies. So, um, so this is more just of you know watching and sensing how some somehow the um, the movement that we're part of. Uh, has created a kind of these kinds of biases, you know, and tilts that uh, call to be co corrected, you know, call for a new holism. So, and it is part of our culture to be self-critical, and that's wonderful too. One thing that comes to mind is that the the, the frameworks that we're using don't well appreciate the role of things like grief and sadness in the human condition. They don't well appreciate the wisdom of Aboriginal and Native peoples and knowledges. They often, I think, confuse what's supposed to be at the top of development with what's actually at the bottom. You know, this is agreeing with some of what Spring, Spring said. And so there's a lot of confusion about what, it, what spirituality means and what it means to, to wake up or grow up and a lot of pointing up towards something which is really should be pointing down and in more. It also, it's a, there are also models that we use that um, accentuate, they, they accentuate the way that we are autonomous and self-made. Like we can, we develop and we can improve our development and through these processes. And so there's, they they don't have an appropriate space for just the gratitude of where where we come from and the privilege that we carry. There's a space in there for all of this, but what I'm trying to do with my work is create a more formal 
treatment of the descending path. Because in, in our community, we do talk about shadow work a lot, and we talk about embodiment a lot. And all of these things we talk about, there's a lot more conversations about grief recently, but they all sort of, they feel like they're kind of like add-ons, you know, kind of uh, glomming things onto our developmental models. And well, we need that too, we need that too. And the fact that we're thinking of all these things must mean we're even more developed. So it's sort of, you know, um, so what's beautiful about the developmental uh, framework, which is still relatively unknown in most places in the world is it's very um, good articulation of this ascending path, very uh, formal, um, rigorous articulation of what we call development. And um, we don't have a form, formal rigorous articulation of the descending path. And what, what we mean by that, Spring and I can continue to articulate, but it's one of my goals to have a uh, uh, a yeah a, a framework that's as formal or or as we just say articulate um, and kind of boils it down to some basic principles in terms of what what that is so that we can start to marry the ascending and descending paths and talk about the relationships between them in a in a clearer way with less confusion and less just kind of eclecticism you know, have, have, have better theories about it, but also better, um, there's also a, that sort of a phenomenological sense of what it feels like to be engaged in an ascending process or a descending process. So, so we actually feel these things in our bodies. And um, uh, I think that, that, yeah, there are structures and principles be, be behind ascending and they're different than descending and that therefore the, the, the sort of diagnostic wisdom that we develop and also the, the practices that we might bring into play um, would be different. So it's important to, to differentiate, you know, in this context. You know, I like to say in my life, when I run into people in various situations, I, I don't usually think what, what they need is more complex thinking. What they need is integral theory and that'll they'll solve their problems. It's, it's usually more a kind of a shadow work, you know, or, or, you know, they need to do some healing here. You know, the complexity needs to be released from the system, um, not, not necessarily more complexity. So there is a, a kind of a, this uh, VUCA narrative that that's common in our um, field that the world is a complex and ambiguous place and we need to build our complexity to, to meet those challenges. And I think that's that's fully half the story, and it's it's missing a full half. And if we don't have that other half in the story, we're going to be in big trouble. We're not going to we're not going to make things better. So, I, I I could imagine spring we could respond a lot to that, but I just want to jump in there and because there's a lot in what you shared, and I think that's what I was alluding to before. Tom was like in the integral world. Um, yeah, I felt like, what was it? Interestingly, me and all my friends were like, but what is it like to live this stuff? What is the phenomenological experience like of this living this stuff? You know, because it's only for, for so long that you, you're, the maps and models are, are satisfying and there is something alchemical about them. The distinctions open something up, but then at some point, it's like the, the, the deficiency in the model starts to sh show up very glaringly for me. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that. And um, 
I want to come back to this complexity being released from the system. I think that that's in the healing work, perhaps. Um, so, but what I want to come to, this is my question for both of you. And, you know, Spring, you spoke to this and Tom, you've just spoken to this, you know, this said there's confusion about what it means to wake up. So I'd like to ask you what you mean by that. And then, and then talk about, um, well, what is it to wake up? And maybe that is taking us into the descending path. And I'm wondering when you, when you say that the confusion, is it, because it sometimes feels like Wilbur just kind of like stuck enlightenment at the top of a developmental path, you know, and it's, it's like, was that the right thing? You know, does that, yeah. Did he just, you know, you use that word glom that on the top of the, anyway. So what is that confusion? I'll, I'll put that to you first, Tom, because you said it and, and then, yeah, we can do a free fall into descending. <laughs> yeah, nice. So I'll just say the kind of some of the basic uh, parts of the framework that I'm developing. It's called the wisdom skills model. So wisdom just seems is a nice word for something that seems to capture the ascending and the descending together. So I use that. And basically at a kind of a very simple level, it says that, so learning is about creating structures in the mind or in the mind body. And it's just connections, you know, neurons linking up and connecting and creating structures. And that's what learning is. And, and our developmental theories tell us that there are sort of uh, differentiation and integration going on and, and different levels of emergence within that. And so that's, that's all part of it, but it's all building structures and one on top of another, and they depend on each other. There's like a, this is the beauty of, developmental theories is they can map out prerequisite structures. You, you, they help you not go into a situation, whether it's a family dynamics or a country, and say, we're going to install our worldview and our, our methods here. We can see, oh, there's, there are steps here in the complexity that's required, whether it's individual or systems or whatever. So that's the beauty of it. Um, what I'm proposing is that Every time you build a structure in the mind or the mind-body, you occlude or hide something. So it says, it says this is linked to this, and this is linked to that. And the more we practice it, the more rigid that structure becomes. And it's, it's the basis for, for our uh, behavior and our knowledge. And our, it's a nice, solid base. And we just keep building one thing on top of another. But every time we make those structures, it hides something. It filters what's below. Um, it constrains, it says, now we're gonna do it this way. And all the other ways that we could have ever done it are kind of invisible to us now. Um, and so, um, uh, and it also, the creation of a structure involves differentiation and integration. And both of those involve uh, kinds of splitting. So differentiating clearly is a kind of splitting. Um, but an integration also creates a boundary around something and it splits it from the rest of the world. And, and those functions are required for them to work and for us to get all the benefits of structure. Um, but eventually every structure, we might run into the limits of that structure eventually. And, and you don't recognize it when you're building a structure, you don't recognize it until much later when it's like, oh, this old way of thinking about myself doesn't work anymore. And so development um, of, of wisdom or spirituality should be a 
a continuous process of looping back and cleaning up and revisiting and loosening these structures and releasing complexity. Um, as a term I get from Bonnie Roy, who uses it a lot to talk about um, groups and organizations and kind of bureaucratic complexity that builds up. And Dave, Dave Snowden also speaks to this kind of thing. But you can really think about it personally and phenomenologically as well. So the developmental theories, they, they have a, uh, a model for, for the building of structures, very good model. And I'm working on, you know, trying to create a good model of the releasing of structures. And that is part of, it's not part of all cognitive development, but it's a necessary part of ego development, which is what, you know, Terry and Suzanne and Bill Torber talking about. It's also what Keegan is talking about. They're really talking about whatever you want to call it. It's also usually what we're talking about. We talk about wisdom or spiritual development. It's, it's part of the process of growing yourself and your concept of yourself in relationship to the world that things that you bump into some ceilings and you have to go back and deconstruct. Um, it's implicit in the process. Okay, now to answer your question, sorry it took this long, but I wanted to throw just kind of like the, some of the theoretical framework. Part of it is that uh, um, I'm hypothesizing that the higher, the higher levels of development require reaching ever deeper into the structures of the psyche. You get a lot of conclusions coming out of that, which I could mention, but basically it makes us see things you know, what Wilbur's taught us and what Terry O'Fallon is articulating more in another way in her model is you can deconstruct something anytime, but in the normal spiritual, the normal path of things, you can, al you can always like deconstruct your ego and too early and you're a mess, right? There's all these things we can deconstruct. You can deconstruct time and space. You can practice these deep meditation, you know, practices and uh, yeah, like time and space are like all weird for you now because you've deconstructed those, but it's like, do you really want to do that? You know, so there's this whole narrative around what's the appropriate time to do some of these deep things. And so what we put at the top is really about going deeper and deeper and deeper and releasing these structures. And, and then there's a process. Once a structure is released, then all this new information and new capacity, we're recovering things that are actually there. So development is creating something that never could have existed if we didn't practice it and do it and build it. The descending path is always about recovering, remembering, healing. It's, it's always about revisiting something that has been hidden or occluded by one of some structural layer. So that's one way to define the, the two. Um, so um, it, we do that deep work. We're basically, the, the work happens by shining the light of awareness on these deep structures in a way that they, they release. And um, there's different ways to do that. But once they release, all this potential gets released that was locked up. And that potential is new material that, they, that can then be reorganized and integrated and constructed. So that's the upward path. So that's sort of like as Spring was talking about that the cycles, you know, you go down and you, you, you release structure and you release material, and then you integrate it and build something new. And what you build, the new stuff you build 
comes together with whatever level of complexity capacity that you develop in your development in the vertical direction. So, um, so the vertical is important because you, you interpret and reconstruct all of that new material according to your quote unquote developmental level, but it's really a, a question of, of volume, you know, more complexity and more the ability to hold more perspectives which includes ability to hold more emptiness in the non-perspective, the perspective of not having a perspective. Yeah, so it's a kind of volumetric growth that this model leads to. I hope that answered your question. That was kind of a long, long answer. It, it does. I mean, I, Spring, do you want to respond? I mean, there's, there's a lot in what you said there, but I'm just, yeah. Spring, do you want to yeah. um, dive, I, dive in? Um, so Tom, Tom and I are both dancers and the, we never met, but I kind of like our work kind of a dance together in a way <laughs> as a dance partner. Um, so particularly there's this complementary aspect is Tom's work is uh, very formal and theoretical, um, but I like to reinterpret. I, I think we're tapping into the same um, uh, sentiment of how we, the kind of uh, sentiment we hold the vertical development series but I like to use metaphors and, and the stories. Um, so I, I see that the releasing of the structure, well, I see the development is more of a seasonal thing. It's like we go through different seasons and when the growth reach its maximal maturation, you know, like a summer after summer, everything grows to its maximal. When fall comes, when autumn comes, uh, things start to shed start to release, you know, trees release, release its leaves and the fruits drop down. And these are absolutely necessary to uh, replenish the earth. You know, the earth is full of dead, or, you know, the materials, organic matters that's decaying. And, and you know, in our humans, in our current human civilization, we, we quench, we are uh, uh, thinking about decay, but actually decay is, is life, is regenerating life. So, releasing uh, what we learned, the, the, the structure that's built in our uh, conscious mind is actually critical for that learning to be absorbed into our unconscious. You know, the, it, it, you know there's a theory about this four different stage of learning. Like if you learn, uh, say, play a musical instrument, first, you, first you, you have to realize you don't know how to play. You know, and then you start to learn how to play the note. But the, when you really play is you forget about technique and let your body to express through, you know, what's already, what's already there express through the musical instrument. Um, you're not thinking anymore. So you tap the deeper into your uh, resource and the, your, your, your structure, your learning has become part of the unconscious structure. And you just like, it becomes a natural thing. <laughs> so the, the last stage of learning is actually unconscious knowing, unconscious knowledge. So we have to give back that all the structures, all the knowledge, all the know-how back into not knowing <laughs> so that we can unconsciously carry out. You know, we do a lot of things. We actually, our life is carried out by unconscious executions. You know, when you drive, when you ride a bicycle, when you swim, a lot of it is actually unconscious executions. So I think the releasing of the structure, the 
going back to the unknown to replenish the, the somatic embodied aspect um, of uh, execution and knowledge. These are all part of the um, descending pathway, the shedding. And uh, it's fascinating to me, really fascinating. Um, and I guess the question comes up around how that process occurs, you know, like, is it something that, yeah, we can consciously participate in and therefore smooth the process? And I think before, uh, you know, you both mentioned this oscillating kind of rhythm of ascending and descending and knowing when, you know, diagnosing, I think someone said the word diagnostics, knowing and what kinds of practices might be appropriate at certain moments. And so I want to ask about that. And inside of that, there's something I'm sat with, which is, you know, Tom, you mentioned healing. So there's like a, there's a healing element of working with these deep structures. And then there was also this talk of deconstructing, you know, like, um, and are they, are they, because they feel distinct to me or they feel at least, because I've, I've, I've done both of those and yeah, I could see how they could both take you to this origin and yet, you know, the, you know, the, they have diff, definitely distinct feel. So are, are they, like, do you mean them in distinct ways? And is there therefore an appropriate time to apply one or the other? And I've had direct experience of that, by the way, doing emptiness of time, emptiness of space meditations. And those are potent. And you're right. You know, if, if you do, they're, they're beautiful. But if, yeah, if there's unworked through material that surfaces through that, or, you know, it's not perhaps the appropriate time in your life for those practices, then, then it can be very destabilizing. So, yeah, my question, yeah, there's a bunch of questions inside of that. Like, is this healing and deconstructing part of the descending? Are there, are they, you know, different phases? How do we participate in that whole process? Yeah, I could start there. And I think spring is much more involved in um, working with people in, in terms of processes. I do a little bit of that, but um, what I like to do is just point to the, this whole emerging field of trauma theory. And there's, we don't need to reinvent any of that in our community. There's, there's a, a vast field of different practitioners, um, um, somatic experiencing and, um, and soul work and lots of, lots of, there's lots going on. That's about the descending path. And so it's, uh, I'm trying to create um, kind of the, the theoretical, some theoretical foundation so that we can link developmental theory to trauma theory. And so trauma theory can benefit more from adult developmental theory. They're already sort of pretty well informed by childhood developmental, you know, the early phases, the Freudian phases and all that, but not so much by adult developmental theory. And, and so they each field can inform each other. Um, um, yeah. So in terms of like practices, um, there's, there's, there's a million that I could point to and none of them that I'm particularly um, uh, um, experienced at offering. But uh, a, much, a bunch of, of course, that I've participated in myself and benefited from. In terms of the other question, the way I see it is, 
I think part of the process, when I say shed the light of awareness on a structure, and there are different ways to do this, um, there are psychotherapeutic methods and contemplative methods, and um, even you can kind of open things up with drugs and so forth. But it's uh, what I believe, uh, I'm just kind of digging around in the literature to find more references to support this as I write about it. But what I believe is happening is if you just create enough quiet focused attention to so these things are not only like structures in the brain, they're, they're actually, they're, all, they're also processes that are emerging in us, you know, like memory keeps reconfiguring itself as we, you know, remember what we remember and all of that. So there, there's really, and the brain is as much about processes as it's about structures. So just keep that in mind, but talking about structures is, is easier. It's about bringing attention to how the pieces come together into that structure. So it's like, oh, I see someone that reminds me of my mother or somebody says something and I feel this in my body and then I have this vague memory. Oh yeah, that memory is nagging me there. And I see how these come together and produce that experience that I both hate having and I'm never aware of having. And there's something in the seeing, just seeing it. This, this piece comes together with that and that that starts to release it. I, I believe it's just bringing awareness to the pieces. And you can take that metaphor into psychotherapy and all kinds of contemplative practices. And I think it's fairly robust. And so the structure loosens, that's part of the healing. And then there's the recovery. So there's, there's a recovery of the resources and all that come through there. Um, so there's, there, those are two parts, the kind of release, then there's a release and a recovery, and often there's flows of insight and, and physical sensation, inspiration, you know, emotional discharge that can come. And the other thing to add is that there are certain kinds of, when you build a cognitive structure, an important part of it is how much it is attached to strongly emotional experience, because the brain handles things differently if something comes along with extreme fear or extreme pleasure, it just kind of locks it into place more differently, especially fear. And so structures that are linked to these, you know, parts of the brain that are there to protect us have a, a particular character, as we all know, require a more delicate kind of work. But you could say that about a lot of structures, like my sense of time and like showing up here on time and like, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? And wasn't that a nice thing I did just if that starts to fall apart, that's terrifying. That can be terrifying, you know, if you don't titrate it. And um, yeah, and there's all kinds of stuff but about state versus stages and, you know, brief glimpses of things versus, you know, stable, stable experience, stable structures and all of that. But uh, I hope I answered your question there, Joel. Let's bring it to you can... Yeah, I'm sure there's things you can share about what it's like to do this kind of work with people. Well, I'm thinking, how do I answer this question? Because, you know, I'm, I'm more of a practitioner, so I have my own system methods. But I think um, I don't want to dwell too much on introduce my particular methods. I think I'm just going to talk about my experience in general. Um, there are several aspects. First, I want to say that, you know, um, my experience actually right now, I cannot um, separate descending and ascending. 
So actually, what happened is when I put my awareness into descending, the result is actually ascending. <laughs> so it's almost like there's a pulley system. Like I pull down something, some part of me naturally ascend without my awareness. And likewise, if I you know push something up, something will come down. So wherever I put my deliberate attention on, the opposite always happens. You know, in a way, it doesn't come to me as a shock these days. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, U.S. has gone up, gone back 50 years in women's right. You know, we, we just had this, um, you know, this abortion law uh, in U.S. Um, so for me, it's not shocking anymore because I see that if we keep pushing something upwards, it, it's, it's, it's bound to happen that something else is going to drop down further. So I want to make that clear that the, the descending and ascending, I, want, I like to talk them as an integral, as an as a integrate. They're always paired and complement, complementary to each other. So um, the second thing I want to talk about is that um, in, so in, you know, Tom talked about these um, extre- uh, pretty extreme emotional state. So um, I, I think our emotions and the feelings are more kind of a, um, more of more concentrated in the earlier part of or, or for a lot of us um, before we started to develop a mature cognitive capacity, our awareness is embedded in this like primordial ocean <laughs> of feelings and awareness and somatic uh, sensations. That's that's where I deliberately take myself and others to dive down again and again is into that ocean of emotions, what I call it. And, but what I want to say is that that's where the ascending comes back. back. When we dive down in a particular skillful way, it's almost like we, we dive deeper into the ocean and you find some resource, some new, some um, embedded resource that will just uh, like w- rocket you up into a very high state of awareness you know, project you out into a very high stage. Uh, so, so you don't get stuck down there. You, you actually started to circulate your awareness. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are familiar with grief ritual. A, a skill for grief ritual does that, that you deliberately go down into some very primordial, deeply held ancient memory, possibly even ancestral, you know, inherited from your ancestors. Um, and you uh, retrieve something valuable, and then you bring it up to a closure into um, a sense of uh, release and emptiness and, and kind of uh, um, embrace union with a bigger um, system. So, um, yeah, so there's this descending and ascending, there's this coupling. And if, if I want to lead with descending, I would actually go deliberately into the pain spot and and I think another thing I want to say here is that as I do more and more of the descending work, I find, you know, like a lot of people, when I first started this work, I um, held a lot of prejudice against uh, so-called those people at the early stage. <laughs> and uh, I find myself more and more releasing those prejudices and start to see the things in them that I, I, I couldn't see before. And I still have had hard time to articulate what that is. It's more of a 
feeling and a sense right now that I couldn't put into words yet. But that um, uh, that intense reaction becomes much more milder. Uh, uh, you know, some of the particular in our political realm, you know, a lot of there's a lot of people called backs backslash and backward. I don't see them anymore. <laughs> I see them, the, 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 the kind of reactivity they triggered in me has become less and less because I see, start to see a bigger picture when I put into the descending and ascending um, whole, you know, as a whole. Yeah, I could add something to that. Is, is this a good time, Spring, or do you want to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, partly our, our developmental theories already give us um, a way to appreciate what is, might be happening in people that are um, quote unquote less developed in their complexity by just saying maybe they didn't have the opportunities or, or whatever. And also to say, you know, what we say supposedly happens at uh, strategist or integral level is that you appreciate the, the value for all of the structures that were built before. So we already do that and we try to do that. But um, I would add something else to that that comes from the wisdom skills framework, which is um, because it, it it's really trying to emphasize that shadow work is not just something off to the side that you go and clean up once in a while, like that shadow uh, occlusions are created with every everything you learn, every developmental step. So there's more to do in the shadow work than in other places. And I think development tends to happen rather naturally and it's, and it's the descending path that takes effort and focus, you know, and it, once you do that, development happens more naturally. So, so what, there's just so as moderns or as Westerners, I, I, I don't think this is just a problem with the West. There is so much that our cognitive structure has split us off from, you know, um, our, our bodies, our uh, nature, our sense of joy, even our sense of self-love and all these things we could point to people at so-called earlier levels, at least along this line that we like to prioritize, which is the, the cognitive they haven't lost those things and we have. So, you know, if, you know, if I, as a Western man walk into like some circle of native American grandmothers or something and say two words, or they just look at me and they know that I'm, this is a person that's missing a lot in their psyche and their soul they have that wisdom. They just, it's as clear as day. Um, I don't see it. My friends don't see it. None of us see it. So there's something important. You know, it's not just about, oh yeah, we can appreciate the lower levels. It's no, like they actually see things that we don't see because every structure occludes and it's hard work to regain what was occluded. And, and we don't, we don't do that work in our culture. We don't, um, most cultures actually don't. Um, I don't know many cultures that that really have rigorous. I mean, that's that that's part of where we could be going in the future is is more intentional and rigorous ways of of, of doing that work. Um, certainly, the West is pretty bad at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're actually seeing things 
patterns and information that we don't see and they're trying to tell us um, and we're not hearing. So they actually have a kind of intelligence that we have, we have actually lost, you know. It's not just that, oh, we understand that you don't have the same privilege or perspective that we do. It's, it's deeper than that. Yeah. Which I think this, that really, it's interesting what you both say here, because maybe this is what you're both getting at, that actually, um, what do we need in the world? I'm thinking collectively right now, what do we need in the world right now? Because often we hear this term VUCA world that you've mentioned and that we need more complex thinking and, uh, I hear that, but actually it feels, if not more true, equally true that these intelligences that you're describing here, you know, certain kinds of pattern recognition, uh, ways of perceiving that we've just lost, they're actually ways of being in community, ways of being in relationship that, that we've lost. They're, they're actually more important right now that we, that, if we, re, if, I don't know if the word is reclaim. Maybe the word is reclaim, but um, that we we get blinded to to yeah, like this rational abstraction being being the golden key. When actually, yeah, I question that and um, whether we're being invited into in general like um you know different modes of 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 perceiving that come online when we do em- embrace this descending where we can perceive from wholeness you know like from from like a deep immersion in into phenomenological experience visceral experience rather than you know abstracting out and kind of looking at from a distance that's a reflection that comes there's others but i think i'll just stop there and see how that one lands i think this um loops back exactly to what I said at the very beginning about that origin point, the shared origin. You know, I, I think that the the thing, uh, the capacity that Tom, the intelligence Tom was talking about, that awareness, the perception um, of so many layers of uh, existence and, and the, um, patterns, it's, it's just my experience, it's already there. When we be, when we were bur- when we were um, first born, and I I, I see that the training as a acupuncturist as a healer, that's exactly my experience. Is that we were being uh, trained to tap into that capacity we already have, and which is hard work because in order to do that, we have to shed the the existing. Um, ways of the, the structure we already built by developing the cognitive and the rational thinking. And uh, um, I, I think I'm always, uh, so right now I'm working with, um, I'm actually primarily working with native people in China. Um, and uh, I'm always amazed that how much is actually already there. I mean, a lot of these people, they, they probably, if you put them through developmental uh, stage uh, typing, uh, they won't score very high, but there's so much is there. They, they, it's not necessarily consciously aware, but um, collectively held together, there's a vast pool of intelligence that they deserve, and not deserve, but actually ask for a total respect and 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 uh, um, a delicate caring. 
um, of that that primordial intelligence. And that's not just in, I think that's in every one of us too. We, we just don't know how much our body, our, uh, how much intelligence we already have in us. Um, and some of the things we build, we learned later in our life, our so-called skills, all the things we can put in our resume actually can be a hindrance in us accessing that deeper pool of, of wisdom. Yeah. Um, you know, a question this is a lot of this is kind of a critique of complexity, a critique of sophistication, and it's not all it's it's um, set up to be. Um, but it is important. You know, it's half it's I think it's half it's half the picture. It's just we, we, we need to sort of get back to emphasizing the other half. And that's why and mm -hmm. kind of over emphasizing the other half. But complexity ties certain kinds of knots, you know, it says, well, you need to do this. And so you need to do this. And you can even think of it in terms of like um, a bureaucracy or rule system, you know, you've got a bunch of rules and then there are people that don't follow them. So you need a new rule for those people. And then you need a meta rule to organize the rules. And, you know, so complexity just builds like that naturally. And it takes a certain, it, well, this, isn't always true, but it takes a certain level of complexity to understand and see the knot. You have to be more complex than the knot to see it and strategize how to untie it. So complexity is important. We've gotten ourselves into a lot of difficult knots in our cultures and in our Western psyches. Um, so we need some people to be trying to help us untangle those knots, but once we figure out how to untangle a certain knot, we don't need that. It's almost like that complexity, then you can release it. And also it's not like everyone needs to figure out the structure of the knot and how to untie it. Once somebody does that, they can just give us some practices or help us, you know, um, the, most important, the most important things are the most foundational that we care for and support and love each other. Um, that we have, you know, uh, uh, self-love and a sense of integrity in ourselves. Um, those are always going to be the basis for anything else that happens. And a deep analysis of the knots will also tell you that, you know, that um, in, order to, to, in order to withstand the discomfort of deconstructing something, you have to be in envir an environment where you feel supported and safe. Um, and for that, you need people that have well-developed descending paths that can hold, just holding, uh, I mean, there's something about taking multiple perspectives that's, um, as Spring was saying, that children can do. It's just about loving everything and not, not having as many splits and structures built into your psyche that separate you from things. And then there's another form, there are other forms of it that are more cognitive that that are important um, in our world, we have to be able to take multiple perspectives, like whole cultures, you know, our perspectives and to be able to like, how is that true? They believe that, you know, and also we're in a world where it's not only important, like what happens physically and concretely, the, 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 the future of the world depends on the flow of ideas. Um, and system, you know, the, the evolution of systems. So um, 
if there aren't some people thinking about how ideas happen and flow, that's not something that happens until, you know, fourth person perspective and, and later. Um, uh, yeah, if you're just living in one culture and you're just doing your spiritual work or your community work, you're not going to be thinking about the flow of, of ideas and concepts. And um, that was not really touched very much until the postmodern deconstructive movement, you know, although people like Nar Nargujana, who I'm not going to pronounce correctly, Nargujana, um, from the Buddhist tradition, did some early work in, in the deconstructive. Um, but just to say, there is a place for that complexity um, to understand those knots and help help people untie them. I, I, I'd love to, for the last time we have together, uh, for people interested in descending, orienting to that. I know, I know you've already said, like, we've spoken a lot about it and we said there's a lot of different approaches to descending out there uh, in different modes of therapy and embodied work, somatic work. But I'm just curious, uh, perhaps actually the question is, how do you each orient towards descending in your own experience? You know, like you've already said that spring, you know, you said like if I, I turn to descending, then the ascending comes online. And I'm just curious, like, you know, you said turning to pain as well, turning to the unknown, to the body. I'm just wondering, like, what that's like for each of you. You know, do you do you like consciously engaging in in turning to the descending path, other than like booking a therapy session or a bodywork session, which may may or may not do that. But you know, in moment by moment, are you are you, you know, some moments do you go, oh, okay, there's something here now. There's a there's a call into descending here right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna engage that. I'm gonna participate in that. So that's what I'm curious about. Um, I can start. Um, so in my work, I pretty much divide my attention in deliberately ascending or deliberate descending. For like for example, in my teaching resonance code, half of my curriculum is about how to embody this framework. So I created a dance practice to embody the conceptual uh, framework and how to link them together. Um, and I um, basically, they wove, interwove, interweave together all the time. Uh, I would teach someone an abstract idea. And immediately, I ask them to bring this idea into their body, to try it out, bring, carry this idea, and uh, um, try it out in their physical um, experience of it. And just to ask about, and, and would you say, like, as you, now you've absorbed this idea, mm -hmm. uh, see how it moves you. You just let yeah. your body be moved by this idea and yes. it will unfold inside your felt yeah. experience. Is that, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So as we build these, you know, ideas that, uh, you know, are abstract, subtle uh, construct, you, you put them, I ask people to put them into their body and, and, and then they carry this idea in their daily life. Um, I mean, really, it's a very practical thing as people walk and cook dinner or talk with someone, they can start to see how this idea is actually embedded in what's actually there. So what the idea does is illuminate. It doesn't like um, 
it's not like uh, I'm asking them to move in particular way, but just to give them a little tiny light so that I can illuminate something deeper, illuminate something subtler in what's already happening. <laughs> what's already happened. Yeah. Amazing. So, I, yeah, I cut you off as well. So I think you were going to say a bit more about your own. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, well, that is my practice. That's I've just, yeah. that is also my own practice I share with other people. And another thing, I, that I'm doing is, which I'm going to be a little bold here. Resonance code is a reinvention of this, uh, what's called a divinatory system. The the book of change, I Ching, which is actually a divination system. What divination system does, which is very interesting, is that it doesn't see the time as a linear thing. So what what, what, what I mean is in my own practice, occasional, uh, over a period of time, of a self-development, I would cast a divination. What that means is I use a random process to capture the energetic signature of what I have been or what I'm going to go through. And that is a completely a non-linear, non-rational <laughs> practice. That's, you know, in a lot of, it's actually the foundation of a lot of um, Aboriginal culture. And what it does is, so it's really when you see descending and ascending as a, as a whole, then time is no longer linear. You, you know, that Tom talked about the timing is a structure thing. And, and when we break that linear time, there's a, we click into a deep, a more, more a multidimensional time structure, which actually is captured by this divinatory process. Um, so I use that to inform my next, like I'm about to do one, very soon. And this um, divinatory process will tell me how the descending and ascending pathway are going to dance, are going to s- synchronize or talk to each other in my next phase of development. So <laughs> that's, that's a very simple uh, uh, introduction of <laughs> a very uh, vast system here. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we could talk probably for an hour about that. So maybe we have to do that, bookmark <laughs> that. But yeah. Yeah. Tom, yeah. Thanks, Spring. Uh, thanks for that question, Joel. Um, what came to mind for me is two things. One is just listening to my own pain. You know, I have, if I, if I settle down, and sometimes, especially when I slow down, you know, like those weekends when you say, oh, finally, I'm going to relax, and you just realize um, there's a lot in there. You know, my heart's hurting or my gut is tight or my head hurts and just so just kind of using my own body's sense of when something isn't right or intention you know and doing inquiry around that doing sometimes parts work sometimes listening um uh yeah and and the other um and sometimes it looks like meditation um and the other thing that came to mind was um, my men's group and other uh, communities that I'm in. That, that there's something, um, uh, there's a lot of the shadow that we carry that we can't see that other people can. And it, and it comes out, you know, a lot of our issues and our social, we're, we're socially constructed. And so we need social environments to both bring up the, the old family dynamics and also to get help with them so um 
so I would, you know, there's A, there's that, like, starting with your own experience in, in a deep inquiry. Um, and, you know, lots of people can say lots of things about what that's like. It might look, and that's in psychotherapy is like the bridge between the two. It's a relationship that's about a personal inquiry. But then uh, group processes, just at, at work, you know, like, what, how am I affecting, how's my stuff affecting people I'm working with, you know? that's been up in the last couple of months, I'm learning a lot, you know, things that didn't necessarily seem like tensions I had. And then it's like, oh, yeah, and then kind of tracing it back. And it's like, oh, I do that because of a, a tension or a pain, I'm not even allowing myself to feel or something like that. So yeah, just saying what we're all really learning together in this community is that group processes, we space processes are important parts of this descending path. Um, yeah, we have to do it together and be our own loving, reflective mirrors. And you can also deconstruct models and ideas. So like all the, 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 the different developmental levels actually, I think, have different methods for them. And that like there are methods for deconstructing cognitive structures that look more like philosophy. There are methods for deconstructing the social self, which look like the things I'm talking about, and their methods for deconstructing the perceptual self, the embodied pre-verbal perceptual self, and those look more like meditation techniques, look, you know, going at the earliest stuff. Um, yeah, and it, I like, um, there's a kind of, you know, I've practiced some types of divination methods also and really appreciate that invitation to that, to a really deep listening. Um, coming from something that's larger than than at least my conscious mind and also occasionally will participate in something that looks more like extreme states or something more you know kick in the ass kind of thing that then has to be integrated so um, yeah, right. it's life it's life if you know i think that's what we all want is that the healing process is just part of everyday life you know it's not something you have to go away for and pay for and yeah. Yeah. What I'm appreciating this, I've really loved this conversation is that they're kind of um, to develop that capacity, that attunement to ascending and descending and um, the phenomenological experience of, of um, what, what needs attending to in this moment, you know, and, and as you each speak, I'm, I'm getting like uh, really beautiful distinctions around that. So it feels like it's feeding both, you know, the, the, the call to descend, you know, that that's really grown in myself over the last number of years and, and also development. Um, yeah. I think this is, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. It's the kind of conversation I wish that I would have heard when I got into integral theory, you know, 15 years ago. And um it feels like um, to be continued, you know? So, and, and you know, maybe this is worth mentioning to everyone listening. I, I didn't record the last one. This is, this is like part two. And I, I, I sheepishly emailed you both and said, uh, <laughs> I can't find the other one. And this is really exquisite. And I, I guess I'm trying to say like this, there's something living inside this conversation for me, you know, which is, expressing something that we're talking it's an ex it's a representation of what we're talking about and where can we find out more about each of your work as well because i'm sure people listening will will want to know that we'll link to to your work as well in our um in the podcast page as well but where can we find out more about your work 
for me right now, it's just my website, and I'm actually not very active、um, in English speaking. <laughs> I wish I can there's a, a double copies of me, but my time is primarily taken by chi- Chinese,、um, my Chinese community,、um, and I do local work in Bellingham,、uh, Washington. So if you come over this way, <laughs> I can meet you here. If you go to tommarie.us, you get a page that links you out to various projects of mine. One of them just points to my papers, so you can read stuff there about what I'm thinking about. And、um, uh, yeah, I'm spending a lot of time working with Terry O'Fallon at Stages International these days, and so there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on over there. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. Just a, a heads up again: if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.